Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I am back with Chapter 9 of Hungry Ghosts of Paradise. Remember, for this entire audio novella, it contains explicit content, at times triggering content, and is not suitable to listen to while children are around. If you've been tuning into this story, um, I really appreciate your reflections. I'm very open to hearing them. This story is really close to my heart, and it's been really nice to hear your messages, your thoughts of how the story is impacting you. So you can DM me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch or contact me however else you do. Just remember, you know, don't mess with my impersonator accounts. It's just Sabrina Monarch. Um, no extra letters or extra punctuation for my Instagram. And I will leave you to chapter nine now. Chapter nine. Jeffrey Wolf Green writes in Uranus Freedom from the Known. When the Uranian archetype becomes active through transit, it will begin to produce signals that portend the future for an individual, nation, or the world. These signals are initially just little flashes that seem totally out of the existing context, Saturn, of the individual or collective reality. Accordingly, these signals are rarely understood or heeded. Relative to the quickening or acceleration of the individual or collective evolutionary necessities, these signals become more frequent and more tightly spaced together relative to the situation, event, development, or necessity that the original signals meant. By not heeding the manifestation of the original signals, the individual or collective is surprised when the situation, event, etc. suddenly happens, the unexpected or out-of-the-blue phenomena associated with Uranus. I get signals that it will be impossible to keep Aiden, but the verdict in my body is that I need him. Our sex is fun. His body intoxicates me. Our passion and intrinsic enjoyment of giving head is matched. He goes down on me with such desire and technical skill, and I'm having orgasms more powerful than ones I've ever given myself. Involuntarily, my body dilates to receive him and drinks him in. We have so much satiating sex that I stop having sex with myself. My sex gets wrapped in his. And it's not just the merging. I love him. And I feel the current of wind behind and ahead of him, the one that will likely blow him away from me. So a pattern begins of finding intense solace in the ways that our bodies meet, and then a lingering anxiety in between. I'll build a case for you. But you'd have to imagine the clarity of this case comes from retrospect, years later. At the time, these signals were felt, but also a little beyond my register. Hidden in a thick smoke of ecstasy, 
and positive thoughts and prayers. Aiden still loves his ex, Kat. His love, everlasting. He feels like there's unfinished business with her. Kat is very closed off to him. She was when they were together for several years. Critical, preferential, wanting things certain ways, scoffing at him and being creeped out by his psychic abilities, not fully open in their sex, which Aiden had compassion for. However, she was a professional dancer and dance teacher, and when she and Aiden danced together, Aiden said everything was revealed. He knew her feelings, her thoughts, their bodies came together perfectly in dance. It makes me sick to think about it. My only safety from them coming back together is that Kat doesn't want him. And if she does, who will Aiden choose? Kat won't share him either. One afternoon, we were having sex in Aiden's room and afterward, lying together, panting and transported, I see a swirling cloud of orange color, not just with my eyes closed, but with my eyes open, filling up the ceiling. I recognize it instantly as a sacral chakra activation. Aiden tells me our sex is the best he's ever had. Aiden has a history of merging deeply with his environment, the land and the people, and then at a moment's notice, up and leaving, severing all of his connections. The more he's told me variations of this story, the more it gnaws at me that he is perfectly capable of doing the same to me. Even though he speaks of our experiences as though they are cutting edge and revelatory, maybe it will be old someday and he'll trade it in for the next shiny thing. My body feels safe with him because of the way he attunes to my nervous system and the way we merge psychically and sexually not because he has a track record of long-lasting connections or embeddedness in a community. And yet, part of his magical allure is that he's not so deeply of the world. I just wish he'd hold on to me, to the magic of us. One night that we have dinner in town, he enters the booth with a heated, frustrated energy. What happened? He tells me that he just saw a woman that he knows, that I also know, and when he hugged her, she yelled at him that he can't just touch her that way. Aiden massages people when he hugs them. His kind of people just melt and are radiating heart emojis out of their bodies. His kind of people are on mushrooms at festivals. When Aiden wanted to talk to this woman about it, she stormed off and said she didn't owe him an explanation. I've always felt a connection with nuance when it comes to the dynamics between men and women at the larger social scale and the interpersonal micro scale. So at once, I hold his innocence that he's not a violator, but I'm concerned that he's just defensive. So I say, I'm sorry, are you upset about it? He softens, yeah. We tussle a little bit about it. I say, I know the innocence of your heart, and it probably would serve you and your connections to develop more awareness about where you can freely touch people versus where it's going to rub up against a larger social trauma, the trauma of women. Like, I know personally how medicinal and profound and what a gift your touch is. 
I'd feel safer, better, personally, if you had some more discernment or boundaries around who is receptive to it. While he's receptive to my take, I can see that he is really interested in being free and being freely expressed and not as interested in considering the social complexity of it or the consequences. He recoils at the thought of just becoming smaller and afraid of touching people. There's not much gray area for him. His frustration, I shouldn't even have to deal with this energy, and his insistence on being himself strike me as a ticket toward becoming a social pariah. It's a little like his personal whimsical fondness of the police due to happy childhood memories and not really thinking of the other side, the police aggressing communities of color. He's so attuned to the nervous system of the individual body and quite more aloof about the nervous system of the collective body. He's confused by the complex, ever-changing social codes and hasn't found a system for organizing them. His golden boy energy is at once magical. When we're alone, when we're in the forest with his dogs, all of us drinking in the sun, when Aiden and I are taking in each other's bodies, when we're playing. This free connection that he has to joy is beautiful. And I love that he has access to it at all and so massively, but it tears at my heart that it's unintegrated. If this never integrates with the complexities of the world, it'll just be a solipsistic bubble. And I don't desire that for my life, for our life. It's a kind of tragic narcissism because he is actually so sweet and caring and talented, has had an abusive childhood, and now he lives in a magic rainbow bubble. Aiden channels this beautiful expression in his dance, and once people start watching him, his dance feels changed to him, and he doesn't really like it all of the time. He feels like he sometimes leaves his body at that point when he's being observed. I like his self-possessed freedom from the groupthink, but not when it's just an avoidance of a deeper descent and integration process. I think Aiden would rather be himself at the outskirts or in the shadows of society in rural areas at festivals than develop more complex thinking or nuance that would help him be part of society, sensitive to the pulse of the world, which he doesn't really care to partake in. It's so all or nothing to him that even just the thought of harmonizing more with social currents or social complexity seems like a total loss of self. And while most of my fears about losing Aiden have a quality of him choosing to leave me, I'm not sure I could stand to be by his side if he, due to ignorance and lack of capacity or willingness to be responsible and integrated, became a pariah. I don't like the mob and their pitchforks. I don't believe they're righteous. I don't believe their vigilante justice is righteous. And I don't like Aiden's ignorance and the way he's traipsing right into the mob's trauma scanning of what's wrong with white men. It would be one thing if he were controversial due to standing for something and navigating that honorably like a value-driven iconoclast, and if our values aligned. 
but he's just traipsing. My sex was still open to him. My heart was still open to him. And I felt the pressure. He's a whimsical golden boy, dancing in the sun, not in the world, not super interested in influencing the world or being influenced by it, just wanting to be a lover, 36 years old and running. It's 2016, I'm still just 23, and I see the way the world will come for him and how he'd be more likely to flee and keep chasing the sun that the only value he is ultimately defending is his freedom and moment-to-moment whims, that he's just cartwheeling through my life in a kundalini psychedelic erotic swirl, tasting joy and freedom without a willingness to ground it, to weave it into the world in a real way. All of this and the fact that we love each other can still be true. And in my youthfulness, I hold out for a miracle I believe in our relationship, even though we're not officially together, because we're acting like a couple, and we love each other, and I soothe the anxiety with the tools and resources that I have. As our trip is approaching, Aiden tells me he's thinking about selling mushrooms as a way to make money, but asks me what I think. He knows how to grow them and he envisions putting crystal grids around them and helping the world with the mushrooms. I'd rather you not, I say. You could go to jail, and I'd be anxious. Okay, he says. Part of me feels bad to hold him back, because maybe his dharma really isn't about society, despite my wishes. Maybe we're very different and on different paths, and jail is the risk he can take to make a living doing something that's not even actually wrong, but is illegal. I'm just a hard no for that ride. I appreciate your perspective, he says. You're so creative about being in the world. Your business is public. It inspires me. I'm really comfortable being behind the scenes or in the shadows. But you're right. I could go to jail. And maybe I should just focus on opening my own massage practice and making instruments. Aiden and I change each other, and he takes me into consideration about his life decisions. It gives me hope. A few days later, at dinner, one of Aiden's private massage clients invites us over. He has designed the house, the architecture, and the interior detail. It was impressive an entire work of art. He is making us tuna steaks on a cast iron. Aiden's clients had invited another man as well. We spend a few hours around a fire. The other man has had a huge and storied life. He's just gotten out of jail for a large psilocybin operation. He sold the mushrooms not just as a business, but because he believed in their medicine. I refrain from saying anything first, but when we get home, Aiden says, maybe it's a sign. It confirms what you said. Aiden, without my attempts to keep him, where would he go? I don't feel secure, but I'm not willing to walk away from this magic, this opening, this joy, the erotic involuntary of how I open to him, 
our obvious soul connection and shared dreams at night. And I hope and I pray and I petition the angels for it to work out. We shower together in the shower at Aiden's house, a forest spa, Douglas firs, a blue sky and the scent of pine from the window. Aiden's feet plant into the tile, the floor, the forest floor like tree roots spreading down, with his body the bloom of a dancer. Aiden, belly dancing in front of the large mirror in the dance studio of the house. He loves belly dancing, doesn't relate to it being a gendered thing. We're in the shower and I don't want to get my face or hair wet. Sabrina, we're in the shower, he laughs. Aiden, his body shaped as glory even when he's not trying. Aiden, wet and dripping like a statue in a tropical rain. Before we leave for the trip, Aiden asks me if it's okay for him to bring his paraglider. It would take up space in the trunk, he said, and it would also be some time on the trip for him to take it out. Of course, it's your trip too. We had already been collaborating about other places to go, based on seeing his family for some special occasions coming up. He asked me to help him fold the fabric of the paraglider. It's all unfurled in the dance studio of his house, massive, covering the whole floor like a deflated bounce house. He apologizes for the chemical smell of it. Aiden normally loves natural scents, essential oils, but this is just the way it is. Aiden admits, I actually love the smell though because I love my paraglider so much. I help him fold the fabric. Together, we pack up the striped chariot that will take him to the sky. Mm -hmm.